Ava Hartling. Welcome to The Brand is Female. My guest this week is Boyana Sentler, founder and CEO of Sentler, a Canadian luxury outerwear brand with impressive growth and a celebrity cult following. Boyana's designs have been worn by the likes of Kate Middleton, Jennifer Lopez, Halle Berry, Heidi Klum, Gigi Hadid, and more. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship programs. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. Boyana moved to Toronto from Serbia when she was still a child. She knew she had an interest in style and design early on, but chose to study marketing and finance. After graduating from university, a chance encounter with Karl Lagerfeld while she was on a work trip is what led her to reconnect with her interest in fashion. Finding herself in Peru, Boyana discovered Alpaca, which inspired her to create high-end outerwear. In 2009, Sentler was launched, and the brand was quickly picked up by major department stores throughout North America, from Saks to Nordstrom and Holt Renfrew. Editors and celebrities alike endorsed the brand, and in 2021, Boyana opened the Sentler Atelier, a retail store in the heart of Yorkville, where she launched her first men's collection, Sentler Men. Boyana is a true inspiration for anyone in fashion and anybody building a business from the ground up. Here is our conversation. Boyana, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brand is Female today. Thank you for making time to speak with me. Oh, it's so nice to see you again. And we've been trying to do this interview for a while, so I'm glad we could find time. And I'm really excited to hear more about your journey and also all the latest and greatest with your brand. But I like to start these conversations by really getting to the origin story of, you know, how women start their companies and uh, how how they kind of reached that chapter of becoming an entrepreneur. So I'd like to know in your case, when you were growing up, what did you think you'd be doing later in life? What kind of career were you envisioning for yourself? So I I didn't have a career as much as I had um, kind of like a passion. So I've been sketching, uh, I've been painting, I'm very artistic. And uh, this is something that I've been doing since I was very young. And actually, I, I do recall in grade four, I created a book uh, for, for my project, for my school project. And in the back of the book, there was a uh, about the author. And one of the more interesting parts was, um, you know, I listed Boyna Sentler as a girl in grade four. And then one day she wants to be a fashion designer. So I didn't really know that I would be in fashion um, growing up, but I did always have that creative side of me that I have continued to, um, you know, to develop over the years. Well, it's still connected because you are doing something very creative, obviously. And tell me about that first chapter. You know, what did you study in school and where did that lead you? So I um, was very creative, but I also had um, great passion for math. I was very good at math um, in uh, high school. Uh, so when I was choosing my profession for school and going to university, I ended up deciding to go to a business school. So I studied at Schulich School of Business, and I have uh, two majors in marketing and finance. Marketing, because of course, um, there's so much creativity in marketing, but finance as, you know, going back, I was very good at math and it really interested me as well. Uh, so I think business in general was quite intriguing to me, even growing up. Um, I'm a very people person. I love people. I love um, 
relationships. And I just really had a passion for always, um, you know, finding out like how are products made, how are services done. Um, this is something that always um, really intrigued me. Uh, and then, you know, I guess how that ties to fashion. Um, I mean, before even Santeler, uh, I grew up in uh, Eastern Europe. So I was born in Serbia, in Belgrade. And my mother was always um, kind of instilling these values um, in, in me growing up where she would always mention um, when it comes to fashion, you should always look for quality over quantity. And, um, you know, it was like she was like teaching me about materials and um, natural materials and natural fibers. And um, she was teaching me about cuts and fits of clothing. So I think that this, um, you know, has really kind of stirred me in this direction of having an appreciation for uh, well-made uh, clothing out of luxury fabrics. I love that. And I mean, that's such a, an interesting mix because you were passionate about the finance side of things, the business side of things, and then fashion and uh, the, the, the creative part of it at the same time. So it's, uh, that's a combination that's rare. So where did, you know, what was kind of uh, you know, your first professional experience. And uh, I know that eventually led you to starting your own business, but uh, what happened after school for you? So um, the story is actually quite interesting because I, um, out of university, I was, uh, I, I was hired by a, a beauty corporation, um, a C, uh, one of the top um, Fortune 500s. And uh, I loved the industry but I was constrained by the corporate world and the corporate mm -hmm. ladder. So, you know, obviously out of university, you're hired into a junior position. Uh, I had so many ideas and I, I think that um, I realized that I was too creative and too um, free minded. And, you know, I had a lot of like free way of thinking um, and a different way of thinking that um, was not suited for my, you know, for my, I guess, job. I was very good at my job, but I just felt like I had so much more to offer than what I was doing. So I realized this and then I actually ended up leaving that job and uh, I moved to Dubai in 2008. And at the time, uh, Dubai was full of opportunities uh, there was a lot of real estate development happening, which is still currently happening, and it was booming. Uh, and I was very intrigued by, um, you know, the the growth, the economic growth. Um, and I think this is the business side of me and the, um, that I find um, quite intriguing. So uh, while I was living in Dubai, I was working on economic investment reports on emerging markets specializing in the MENA region, so uh, focusing on mostly Dubai and Abu Dhabi. And I loved it because it was kind of like the best of all worlds. I had the daily interaction with, um, you know, C-suite executives and um, leaders uh, in that part of the world at the time who I was interviewing for the report. Uh, but at the same time, um, I was learning a lot about um, how these very successful people were, you know, running their businesses. And, you know, I was always asking myself the question, like, what do they have that I don't have? How did they get to where they are today? And, you know, what skill set, like, what do I need to develop to also be able to have a chance to get there? And I think throughout the years, what I have learned is that, um, you know, the very successful people, they just have access to more resources and um, mm -hmm. and uh, access to more information. 
So this is when I think this like light turned on in my head where I gave myself wings to fly as high as I want. And I think this is where I really became free to truly think that I can do anything I want. Um, and, you know, that, 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 that I would just have to work very hard um, and continue to learn. I think that was part of the, the big process was, um, you know, out of university, you, know, you don't stop learning. I mean, throughout life, you're always continuing to improve and be better. So then in Dubai, um, in 2008, um, at the end of 2008, that's when the economic downturn happened. Um, so I left Dubai, but before I left Dubai, I had um, the chance to interview the now late fashion guru, Karl Lagerfeld, who at the mm -hmm. time was designing villas in Dubai. So I did not know that I was, you know, going to have my fashion line when I had this conversation with him. But I bluntly asked him, um, you know, like I would love to have my own fashion line one day, but I'm not a formally trained designer. I went to a business school and, you know, then he bluntly told me, well, you either have it or you don't. And if you have it, go for it. And these words really inspired me to start thinking differently, because I think even though I had this artistic and create creative um, side of me I was always kind of putting it aside because you know I thought well I went to a business school I'm destined to do marketing or I'm destined to do finance or I'm destined to be in business until this light clicked in me that well no like fashion is business fashion is marketing fashion is finance fashion is creativity it's all of it combined together so then I left Dubai um, in 2008 and then in 2009, at the beginning of the year, I was traveling in South America and I ended up actually staying and living in Lima, Peru um, for about half a year. And this is where I have discovered this amazing alpaca fabric, which is the main fabric that I use in my Centaur collection. And I really fell in love with its, um, you know, soft, um, like as butter, um, you know, textures and qualities. It's very lightweight, but it's very warm at the same time. And uh, this is actually hypoallergenic also, um, uh, mm -hmm. cruelty-free, animal-friendly, um, sustainable, um, everything that I have ever dreamed of in a fabric. And then this is where I ended up creating my first collection in Lima, Peru. And uh, it was the seven coats that I have always wanted to have and own. I just couldn't find on the market. That was the first ever Centaur collection. And I brought it back to Canada and I launched uh, Centaur in 2009. I mean, I love that story so much. And it was really kind of, you know, being at the right place at the right time and having these conversations and um, this experience also being in Lima that, that kind of took you to the next step. And, you know, the, the, the rest really just happened from there. Uh, and you, you fell in love with product first and foremost, which is really interesting because I was hearing you talk about the love of, you know, beautiful product, quality product that your mom instilled in you. And it sounds like that's what happened when you came across, you know, Alpaca and uh, you saw the, the, the potential for, for what that fabric was going to bring. So that it's like all the dots just really connected. Um, and then was it kind of obvious because, you know, you kind of turned around and said, I'm launching my business. You came back to Toronto and then started making coats, basically. 
what what was the first experience of trying to market the product and what kind of feedback were you getting as someone you know coming to the industry with no formal background in fashion at least um what were those first steps like so i mean it was it was interesting um i think i went into this like telling myself you're going to make it there's no other option <laughs> like it's happening and i think what um actually continued me to um keep going and have that drive was like the passion and my true love for like what I was doing. And, you know, as mentioned earlier, my first collection was seven coats that I personally wanted to own. And it was really created. The brand was created out of passion and love. And when I brought it back to uh, to Toronto, I, you know, I remember the talks where like my father's friends were like, oh, your daughter went to Schulich School of Business and now she's sketching. You know, and I remember my father would proudly say, Boyan is building an empire. And I think, um, you know, obviously people doubt you and um, uh, this is very normal. But um, I had very good support from my family, which, you know, I think has been like very important throughout my, throughout my entire journey. Um, they have been my, my backbone since day one. Uh, but, you know, also Centler was launched in a recession, kind of very similar to the times that we're experiencing now. 2009 was a recession. And uh, I was very confident because I remember studying in university that luxury does very well in a recession. And it was really my passion and my um, love for what I was doing. And obviously with the combination of a really high quality, well-made, um, detail-oriented, like attention to every single detail um, product that, you know, has made Centler um, you know, loved by so many women. So the first time I launched uh, Centler to a group of women, um, it was a small private party. And uh, I ended up, you know, getting orders by every single woman that evening um, from seven little, you know, a collection of a little collection of seven coats. So um, this really, I think, gave me the courage to keep going because I noticed, okay, well, you know, not only do I love this product, other women love this product and then the word of mouth happened and mm -hmm. uh it was the key was making sure that every detail was perfect before launching it including the packaging including the label mm. um you know so like you only have one chance to to um prove yourself to to consumers and um everything had to be you know very per like perfect <laughs> yeah yeah well and that's interesting because I often have a conversation with women entrepreneurs saying, you know, when you first launch, don't stop yourself from taking that first step, you know, thinking that something's not perfect. But there's also the need when you're putting a product out, you know, with your name on it, with your brand name, it's got to match the level that you want to be, you know, bringing to customers, right? And in the luxury category, that's, that is so important. Um I have two questions for you. So when you were starting and, you know, you had the first few designs and the feedback was good from uh, th those customers that first came across the brand and, and the designs, um, how did you go about sustaining the business, you know, without 
uh, a high volume of sales yet you were just starting did you rely on investments from friends and family or you know was it your own money that you were investing and how did you go about finding retail partners um, and that can be tough I think for a lot of yeah. uh, a lot of new designers who don't have contacts or previous experience right they don't know where to start and you know whose doors to knock on and I remember very early on I mean you were at Holt Renfrew and your coats were being picked up by by major retailers uh, quite early, I believe. So yeah, so I mean, Sandler has been basically self-made. So I didn't have any um, foreign or you know out, outside investment. Um, I invested everything mm-hmm. I had into Sandler, and I like I grew the collection basically, um, or I grew the company. Like I would get orders. And then I would put that back into production and then I would get orders, put it back into production. So slowly growing the company um, step by step. And um, I think the hardest part was convincing my manufacturers on uh, low volume production, because at the time when you yeah. first start a business, it's very difficult to find um, manufacturers who would allow you to produce such low volumes. And then if you produce very high volumes, then you create a great risk um, for overproduction. And I think that was the biggest challenge. So, um, you know, I have developed great negotiation skills (laughs) over the years (laughs) and, um, you know, I was genuinely, um, you know, letting them know, like, if you, you know, if you believe in me now and start with me now, like you're going to be very successful because you're going to grow with me. So, um, that's Mm -hmm. how that partnership has been formed. And, you know, we're still working together, um, and they're very happy now. They're very happy they mm-hmm, took that, mm-hmm. I think, leap of faith um, in believing in me. Um, so I think maybe a lot of like women in business think, well, this is how it is. And there's no way I can do that. I don't think that way. I think, well, what do I need? I know that it's not typical, but let me see how I can make it work for me. So that's the mentality that I have. And, you know, you can be creative. And I, I think... As long as you provide value or, you know, some kind of, um, I would say, hope for for a future growth um, in the relationship, I think the doors can open for you, um, you know, regardless. Mm. And do you find the market is becoming increasingly competitive? I mean, we're seeing a lot of changes um, in the world of fashion. You know, Nordstrom just announced they're, they're closing their doors. Retail is kind of always, you know, evolving and obviously trends come and go. Designers come and go. We know there's a lot of large groups as well that, you know, kind of control the retail distribution in, in North America. And you're still an independent designer. And I love the fact that, you know, it's it, you basically finance the company as you went along, putting the money back into it. Uh, and you've remained independent, you know, so many years later. Um do you think it's still possible and that's still a model that works given all the changes that we're seeing in retail? Like you can still make it, you know, in the world of fashion in Canada as an independent designer. I mean, it's working for you, but from kind of a, an industry standpoint, do you think that's a viable model? Yeah. And I, I think it really all has to do with um, the the growth, I, I think, um, objectives. And my really focus was, you know, sometimes it's dangerous to grow too fast. So my focus when I was growing Santeller was to, to have moderate growth. Um, so then we can, you know, fix whatever we need to fix on every step of the way. 
Um, because, you know, as I've, I think, I think we have all seen businesses grow super fast and then sink super fast. Um, yeah, so I absolutely. think, I think um, this is where my business acumen has really helped me sustain Centaler is to ensure that we're growing, but also to ensure that we're profitable, that we have a very healthy business. Um, and this is what I think made the difference, um, especially during the pandemic in the last couple of years be between certain um, businesses and other businesses and why certain businesses survived. And it was really the businesses that had very healthy margins and that had cash reserves and that had, um, you know, like a sustainable and healthy business um, model that survived. Um, so this, you know, has worked um, for the company so far. I mean, now we're carried in like all the major um, uh, retailers uh, in Canada as well as America. And, you know, we've expanded all internationally as well. Um, but I think the next, I would say, big step would most likely require um, some investment. Um, and this is when companies go from, you know, growing to like really accelerating. So, um, you know, mm. this is something that I'm considering now. So I'm, I'm excited. I think I think um, timing also has to do with everything. So I think the timing is, is now. That that's really interesting. I want to I want to come back to that because I love talking about kind of growth strategy and you know next steps with growth. But I want to know what was the biggest hurdle you had to overcome, or maybe that first tough lesson. You know, after having the business a, a few years, what's something that you maybe didn't expect to face, or something that you learned? You know, getting through those first few years of running your own business. I mean, I think having perseverance, never giving up, um, because obviously, you know, business is going up and it's going down. And uh, sometimes you're hoping for a partnership and it doesn't happen. But I think what has kept me through, um, you know, th those times was, okay, I would always say, well, maybe it's just not the right timing. Like, no, now doesn't mean no forever, because I don't take no for an answer and my team knows this. I think we have it written on our wall in our office. No is never an answer. If you can't figure it out now, then find another way, but it's going to happen. So I think because I have this mentality, um, I would just, um, instead of getting discouraged, I would um, motivate myself to keep going and, um, you know, until I get, until I get what we have planned for. But was there something you learned maybe about business, like something that, you know, surprised you or was something that, you know, you couldn't have predicted, basically? Uh, I mean, there's there's I think something like some great things can happen, but they don't have to stay that way. I think that was probably the biggest mm -hmm. lesson. Um, you know, yeah. we've had some amazing ops, but then you know, you have to keep up or it's going to go down. Um, so as in any business, like we've had ups, we've had downs. But I think probably the biggest lesson for me was when you're up, you know, you have to continue to not just stay up, like you have to create more innovation, you have to provide mm -hmm. more, um, uh, you know, better collections, you have to have better campaigns, you have to continue to have better rela uh, relationships and partnerships. Um, not just to stay up, but to keep going up. So being up doesn't guarantee that you stay up. I think that's the biggest lesson. 
This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women and Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice, puts guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD Services for Women in Business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way, so we can all share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. That's really interesting. And I had a conversation recently and I can't recall who it was exactly, but it was an entrepreneur talking about how you might think, you know, when things are going horribly, you might think you're going to get stuck there and you don't. But equally, when things are going really great, you're also not staying exactly. at that level. So it's adapting to that cycle. I think also being humble about it um, because, you know, life can turn around within like one day. So, um, you know, obviously being proud of your accomplishments and your achievements um, and then being very humble about it because there's mm -hmm. something about staying humble that makes you strive for more. Sometimes if you're, you know, overly confident and um, overly excited about what's happening, you forget to keep going because you're so excited about what's currently happening. Up. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a good point. Um, speaking of always innovating and, you know, always uh, kind of uh, ex exploring new uh, directions, you've launched Centler Men uh, not that long ago. So you now offer coats designed for men as well. And the response seems uh, very positive. We've seen a lot of sports celebrities, you know, uh, men wearing your, your designs already. How did you come to that decision of, you know, uh, kind of, going on the other side and, and designing uh, for, for men's as well, which is a, a whole other category in, in the world of fashion. And how do you make decisions like that? Are you somebody who, uh, you know, goes more with intuition? Was it something that was kind of, you know, the result of a long-term strategy? I'm curious to know how you come to these business decisions. So I think product expansion has always been, um, you know, part of our long-term growth strategy. And it was just a matter of choosing which product. So at one point it was like, do we go into kids next or do we go into cat mm. into men next? And men, I think what took, the, I, I would say the priority because um, we have developed a demand for men. So all of our women clients would constantly tell us, well, my husband now needs a coat. You know, I have 10 centler coats. Can my husband just have one? So we have seen this demand from men and uh, I, you know, made the decision to launch um, a men line. And I think one of the biggest challenges with launching centler men was making it only centler men. I didn't want centler men to be an extension of the women line. I really wanted men to have their own product, their own collection, and their own brand, um, which is also why we launched it as Centler Men. Uh, and then, you know, just coming up with that um, uh, signature, the ribbed signature was, um, you know, quite the journey uh, because, uh, as you know, for the women coats, um, I have the signature ribbed um, cuffs and uh, sleeves that are, you know, shown in, in most of the coats in my collection. Um, but I needed to make an equal um, type of signature that would be, you know, well perceived by the men, but that wouldn't be the women. So um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the process. Um, and I think how men differentiates from women is that um, my goal was to kind of create something that doesn't exist on the market. 
So I think I was mm. probably one of the first um, outerwear brands to launch men robe coats. Um, I have heard that men have been wearing women robe coats before they <laughs> <laughs> they had access to or men just because they weren't existing on the market. Um, mm. And then, you know, I created the double collar uh, boucle alpaca. Um, you know, I kind of call it like the Centaur alpaca parka because it's um it's it's uh cool and it's you know stylish but at the same time it's warm um man coats are actually uh water um uh repellent so they have um a rain shield um protection layer on them as well um and then they also some of them have um um also um in like interlining and um added um padded filling inside for extra warmth so I think when I, you know, when I was planning the Santaler Man collection, I really wanted it, wanted it to be like truly functional as well as uh, fashionable at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, you've succeeded because the product is beautiful and it looks like it's making a lot of men happy. I don't know if they were buying women's, uh, <laughs> you know, robe coats before, but uh, it's been great seeing the, the buy-in and that seems like a, a successful product expansion. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, I want to come back to, and, and you were talking about, you know, what expansion or what growth is going to look like for the next stage of uh, uh, really developing the business and you're considering uh, investment at this point. Um, how do you plan for growth, generally speaking? And I mean, and we just talked about how you planned, you know, for product expansion and then made a decision from that point on. But how do you go about uh, planning next phases of growth? And is that something you typically do with external advisors? Is that something you take on by yourself or what does that process look like for you? So, I mean, I've been planning uh, long-term. So we have our long-term goals and we have our short-term goals and really like the long-term goals, which have never changed for Centaler is to be a recognizable international luxury outerwear brand. So um, you know, we have reached that objective. However, um, there are still so many women and men in the world that um, don't have a Centaur code. So, um, you know, part of the growth strategy is growing um, in international markets. So our two biggest markets currently are Canada and U.S., um, but there's so much more potential in Europe, in Asia. Um, these are very, very interesting markets to me where we see a large demand uh, through our online shop because through Centaler.com we ship globally. Uh, but, you know, to have physical presence in these markets is next. Uh, and we're currently in talks um, with some partnerships, which um, you'll find out soon, uh, which I'm excited about. Uh, but um, so that's, you know, one part. And then the other part is really through product um, expansion. So, um, you know, our women clients have all their Santaler coats and, you know, they continue to build their collections, but they want to be dressed in head to toe in Santaler. So um, this is something that I'm very excited about uh, also as, you know, part of the growth strategy to, um, you know, bring like hopefully one day like a ready to wear line um, so that we can dress um, men and women head to toe in Santaler. That sounds wonderful. I'm excited to hear about the new partnerships. Um, you're very fascinating as a designer because you bring, you know, again, kind of that finance business background uh, into your role as much as creating and, and design. Um, and something I know you that is important to you is, uh, you know, networking and having that that kind of support of um, uh, seasoned, you know, business experts from different backgrounds. So 
what does that network look like? The, you know, maybe the trusted advisors or the the uh, the experts that you rely on, uh, maybe just to bounce off ideas, or you know, maybe it's a more uh, a more official uh, relationship. But you know, I'm I'm often interested in in hearing from from entrepreneurs who who are you know these outside players that they rely on sometimes. It's as simple as their accountant or their tax expert. Uh, so what does that network look like for you? Yeah, I mean, my father has always been my advisor um, since I launched Santeller. Um, he's uh, in consulting. So um, he has always been such a great, I would say, like, you know, backbone for me if I have to bounce ideas or uh, make very important business decisions. Um, I also have um, a very large network of, um, uh, you know, women and men um, in different industries. Um, obviously, my business background has ena enabled me to have this network. Um, you know, they're not necessarily in fashion. They're maybe in um, consulting, in banking, um, in, in many different types of industries. Uh, maybe they're business leaders in, you know, mining. Um, so it's not really... Um, industry focused where I choose my network of advisors. It's more, um, you know, like who is successful and who is doing what I want to be doing. And that's who I take advice from. Um, I, I typically, um, you know, there are women and men who I really admire for what they have accomplished and achieved. And, you know, I'm always interested in like, you know, well, how did you do that? How did you overcome those obstacles? Um, and a lot of the times, like they're very open to sharing. Um, and especially I have noticed in the last couple of years um, that, you know, women are very open to supporting uh, mm -hmm. women, which is a change that I'm seeing because I don't think it was always like that. Um, you know, they're unselfishly, um, you know, giving advice and unselfishly, um, you know, wanting you to succeed. And I think, you know, I, I have a few mentors who, you know, are older than me and who are in very different industries, but they see them in me. And I think there's some, you know, really nice part about that. Um, so maybe they're advising me, but at the same time, like, they're also admiring the work that I'm doing because, you know, they remember how they started. Mm, it's it's so true. I've observed that as well. And that's something that's been, again, coming up a lot in conversations on, on the show here. Um, the fact that, you know, there is that uh, that, that support and, and that championing now uh, among women. Um, and I think it's very easy for anyone, you know, who is looking to kind of use somebody as a sounding board or they're looking for a mentor, you know, any any type of, of support in that way, just reaching out and asking for help. And women entrepreneurs are interested in supporting one another now. So yeah. it, I think we we'll, we get a lot more yeses than we expect when we do reach out, right? We do. And, you know, what I have been getting, um, I would say in the past year is like volunteer, like voluntary advice. So, you know, sometimes I don't even reach out to my network. Like I'll just sometimes get a random text message from a female entrepreneur who would say, oh, I just did this and I thought of you. I think this will be very useful for you. And, you know, I reciprocate. I do the same thing. So I think it's just, you know, thinking about um, how you can also support um, your network um, is, is crucial because, you know, it, it's a give and take relationship. And I always say the best way to build a relationship is to give. You know, you give mm. with zero expectations, um, you know, be at value to people, um, you know, share your network, share your resources, um, share your brain, like tell them what you think, um, you know, if you can help them, like give them some advice um, and don't expect anything in return. And honestly, for me, like 
I mean, it has come back so much bigger and so much, you know, stronger. Um, but I think the beauty is that people just feel good to give with no expectations, but then you get so much mm -hmm. back out of it. That's so interesting. I like that you're bringing that up. Um, how do you view your role and what do you think you bring to your role, you know, apart from, uh, you know, skills like, uh, you know, your business background or you, the fact that, you know, you're talented at design, but beyond that, what kind of human qualities do you think you bring to your role as a, as a leader at the helm of your company? You have a team who works with you, you have partners, clients, mm -hmm. um, you know, and I'm interested in kind of that definition or, or, or that view of leadership for you as you play that role. Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question. And um, I think people often have the word like leadership, like missed. <laughs> and I think like yeah. to me, truly the role, like your role as a leader and like my role as a leader is to inspire people. And um, I think this is something that, you know, I have heard um, of a lot of people who spend like a lot of time with me um, that, you know, after spending time with me, they feel inspired to do anything. And this is I think probably what I want to be known for, you know, like one day when, you know, people talk about me like, yes, you know, she was a designer of Santeler, but, you know, I really want to be known as the person who inspired people to be better, to dream more, to, do, to you know, to do more, to do what they love. Um, so this is, I think, what I bring to the table in my circles. And, you know, I genuinely do it. Um, I don't think I think about it. I think it just naturally Um, comes out in me um, when I have conversations with people, I listen to what they have to say. And then I automatically start to think, well, how can I be resourceful to them? And like, you know, what can I do? Um, and I think just my mentality of you can do anything, you can be anything um, inspires people to also um, think that they can do anything and they can be anything because it's true. It truly is like a mindset, Absolutely. a mindset thing. Yeah. And well, and I think you are, you know, kind of that, uh, that, you know, role model for, for lack of a better word for, for many women entrepreneurs and especially for, I think for anyone who has a business in the fashion industry, it's, it's not easy in Canada being a successful, uh, you know, fashion designer or being at the, at the helm of a, of a fashion house. Uh, it's a very tough industry and even tougher Uh, for people who start out in Canada, we're a smaller market. That's just the reality. Uh, so I think you you played that role for for a lot of entrepreneurs and, and women uh, specifically. Um, in closing, what would be your top two pieces of advice to a woman considering a career? Uh, you know what, in any industry, because I think your advice goes even beyond just fashion. So I think the number one is you really have to choose to do something you love. And this is why. Um, so businesses go up and down. So it's easy to start a business, but it's not easy to preserve a business. And the reason why mm -hmm. most businesses don't succeed is people give up because in hard times, 99% people give up. Now, the only way that you're not going to give up is if you truly love what you do. So that's why you have to choose to do what you love, because in those really difficult times when you're like, what am I doing? Why am I even doing this? That's when you remind yourself, well, this is like, I love this. I'm breathing this. I'm living this. Like, this is my life. Like, I really am passionate from what I'm doing. And um, this is this is why it's very important to choose um, to do what you love, because that way you will ensure that you never give up in hard times. 
Um, and I think the second, um, the second piece of advice is, is um, I think, staying true to your values. So uh, when I founded Santeler, I had a vision and I had, you know, like my vision was Santeler is going to be an internationally recognized luxury outerwear brand. Um, and, you know, with that, um, Santeler is a responsible brand, um, we're a sustainable brand. So these are all values that were instilled from day one. So there are opportunities that come along the way. And you always have to go back to your values and what the company stands for. And if that opportunity goes against your values, no matter how good the short-term benefit is or how good the financial short-term benefit is, the answer is no. So you always have to stick to your values. And this is how you make it as a brand because you're showing your customers consistency and they can rely on you and that, you know, you're not going to sway, um, you know, they have a certain expectation of you and they know they can expect it next year and the year after and in 10 years. So these are my two top pieces of advice. I love that advice. That is, uh, those are very valuable insights. So speaking of values, I know, and you've mentioned, you know, sustainability, but I know giving back to the community and, you know, being supportive of the community is something that's very important for you. Um, we've, we've even, I remember hosting a, a conversation, uh, when you, when you launch a new initiative supporting, uh, Sick Kids Hospital. So where does that come from, you know, for you that, that need to be involved in the community, uh, with, uh, with your business and, uh, what kind of projects is Centler's supporting? So, uh, I mean, I think, as you know, I have launched the Centler for Sick Kids initiative uh, eight years ago, and uh, it was launched um, when I became a mother. And it was, um, I think, a very large, like, learning curve for me, um, you know, having a child and understanding um, the love that, you know, the unconditional love um, for children to any mother um, you know, there's no words that can describe that. Um, so I was very fortunate to have um, two healthy children. However, you learn along the way that not all children are, you know, born healthy or throughout life, um, you know, some unfortunate things can happen to them. So this is when I developed a passion um, to, um, to, to help kids. And uh, I think that's probably one of my weaknesses. Um, I, you know, if, if I was going to given anything in this world like it, it would always go to children um, because they're so helpless and um, you know anything we can do to help them get better um, I think we all should be responsible to do so this is when I um, created the partnership with um, Say Kids Hospital so through the partnership um, our, uh, our ribbed hats accessories and gloves um, are part of it and all the sale proceeds of these accessories are donated to Sick Kids Hospital. And I think one of the best um, parts also about this partnership is it allows me to speak about the hospital to also international media because Sick Kids mm. also treats um, international pediatric patients. And, you know, by um, helping spread the brand awareness about this hospital, um, you know, even if one mother reads an article in a country outside of Canada about this hospital and, you know, ends up flying her kid to Canada to, um, you know, to get cured um, and saves that child's life. I mean, this is enough for me. So I think, um, you know, outside of, outside of the donations, also helping the hospital um, spread awareness is key. Well, that's wonderful to hear and congratulations on, on everything you've done around that program. 
And I know you also started a second initiative that connects to sustainability and uh, kind of forest conservation. So I'm curious to hear more. Yeah. So two years ago, I founded uh, an initiative called Forests for the Future. And this was, again, created out of my passion for spending time in nature. Um, as you know, two years ago, it was a very different um, environment for all of us than than we are um, experiencing uh, now. So I was spending a lot of time working from home. Um, and, and um, you know, as a balance to that, um, I actually ended up doing a lot of nature walks. Um, so this is where I have um, really developed uh, a need for, I, I call it green therapy, but it's really my time in, you know, the forest um, where I really connect with myself. I block out external noise. This is where I can, you know, come up with decisions like very fast. Um, I come up with ideas. Um, I get very creative. Um, and I think, you know, from spending a lot of time in nature, I started studying a lot on forests and trees and have learned the importance of our um, forests and our trees, um, that they're obviously eternal to our life. Uh, so I became very passionate about tree planting. So in the first two years, we planted 11,000 trees in Canada. And then this past year, um, the donations will be planting another 4,000. So a total of 15,000 trees across um, North America. And the project that we're working on right now is um, in Montana. So um, I'm really excited to, uh, to continue this um, and uh, continue to um, uh, help uh, and better forests and ensure uh, healthy forests in the future. Oh, that's amazing. And thank you so much for your time today, Boyan. I think learning from, you know, your journey and uh, the, the vision that you have and the drive that you have is, is very inspiring for, for all women in business. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Eva. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you for listening today. If you did enjoy the show, don't forget to leave a review and subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.